Thanks for tuning in to Dermcast. It's Rob Cascao here with our esteemed medical director for the fall conference in Orlando. Welcome, Dr. Joseph English from the University of Pittsburgh. Thanks for coming by the studio today and talking with us. It's my pleasure. So we're very happy to have you as our medical director. I've seen several of your lectures so far and uh, you've brought a, a very wide range of topics, but we're here today to talk specifically about a topic near and dear to me, um, urticaria, because I'm a sufferer of chronic idiopathic urticaria. But in, in terms of chronic urticaria, we, in your lecture you talked about etiology, the workup pathway. Tell us about this disease state, uh, particularly chronic urticaria, and how it differs from the acute urticaria and so forth. Well, uh, chronic urticaria is usually when the hives persist for greater than six to eight weeks. Uh, you always want to make sure are they, uh, most of the hives are transient, still in nature, but they just won't go away. Uh, they uh, usually uh, are responsive to antihistamines in the acute setting, because they don't see you afterwards. But usually when you get to chronic, you know, your antihistamines may not be as effective. When I see these patients, I always like to uh, evaluate them just to make sure we can try to figure out why they're getting the chronic urticaria. There's more than just idiopathic, or they call chronic spontaneous urticaria now. There's actually um, thyroid autoimmune associated uh, chronic urticaria, and there's something called chronic autoimmune urticaria. So when I see these patients that come in, usually I do do a biopsy. It enables me to make sure that they are urticaria and they're not such things like urticarial vasculitis, depending on the age of their prodromal bullous pemphigoid or other gyrate erythemas, um, with direct immunofluorescence is important. But for the lab workup, I like to do um, uh, a, a chronic urticarial index, which measures your histamine release. Uh, it's important to know, you can at least give the patient an answer that, hey, you're an autoimmune person. Check thyroid. Very important to examine the thyroid as well because thyroiditis uh, can present with a goiter can be the source of the problem. Um, other things that people always get concerned about that, uh, you know, allergy, am I allergic to the dog, the cat? And sometimes in what I do, instead of getting to an allergy or immunologist, because that can be difficult sometimes, or, you know, just like it is hard to get to dermatology, it's hard to get to them sometimes as well, is I'll order RAS testing. So I can see if you're allergic to certain foods, molds, mites, and you can sort of discuss with the patient which ones you might want to check. So the, the workup, involves a lot of potential etiologies. Uh, you mentioned doing a biopsy. When, how quickly are you going to do the biopsy? Well, usually when you come, when I see the patient, they've already been having it for several months. So I like to do the biopsy so I know what I'm dealing with. So we're not, I usually do it right in that first visit. Um, and then based on history and physical, do I, uh, do I do any additional blood testing, right? There's always, 95% of the time, we don't find the answer to why you're getting it, and that's the idiopathic or spontaneous. Um, and outside of thyroid and that autoimmune test, you know, everyone's concerned about you know, malignancy as a possibility. But a good review of systems and exam is one that usually can tell you, do I need to get a chest x-ray? Uh, do I need to get what they say age-appropriate you know, cancer screenings? Um, I usually see that when people are treatment resistant. That makes me a little bit nervous and may pull the trigger to evaluate that. Right. And in terms of many times the patients come in and they are worried about allergies. You mentioned RAS testing. How quickly are you going to institute RAS testing again, uh, keeping in mind that these are probably people who have been treated for uh, several weeks, maybe right, months. Right. So what I usually do is, you know, um, I'm in an academic center, so I'm, you know, one to be able to, I jump on everything, try to get everything done at one time. So I will do the biopsy. I'll order the uh, thyroid functions and thyroid antibodies and thyroid ultrasound if indicated on exam. Um, I'll check the chronic urticarial index and I'll order the RAS testing right with that first visit. And then we can get into therapeutics when you're ready for that. Okay, sure, yeah. The, <laughs> in terms of, so you've determined now you're going down the pathway of an idiopathic urticaria. Talk about the therapeutic ladder where you start 
this again, this may be peculiar, uh, particular situations for you because these are people who have probably been treated. But think of, I guess, for our viewers, think of this in terms of uh, diagnosing yeah. chronic or, uh, idiopathic urticaria right. where you go. So uh, usually after I do that workup, I, at the time, I'll start with uh, non-sedating antihistamines. Um, the classic ones are available. Um, if they have issues sleeping, I'll add the non-sedating classic um, uh, antihistamines. But then also, too, at this point, I add uh, monolucast. I like to have that low long-term leukotriene inhibitor. And uh, that's my first-line therapy. Now, if they're in a severe flare, I may give them a prednisone taper, right, if they're really, really uncomfortable. But most of the time, people have had several prednisone tapers. And if you're at this phase, prednisone's not the answer to beat this, right? right. So it just depends on how uncomfortable they are. Uh, and then um, they will, I usually do my first follow-up in four to six weeks after that. And if they're done, we, we just stay on the antihistamines for a while, then taper them off and see what happens. If they fail, to improve with the antihistamines on board. You can add multiple, you can do multiple combinations if you want. You can add, you know, the, uh, the Allegra with the Claritin, et cetera. But usually what I do at that next step is I move up to oral immunosuppressive therapy. Classically, people would use cyclosporin for uh, this, but uh, with mycophenolate mofetil, it's a little bit easier to, uh, to take and monitoring is a little bit easier. So that's what I do. And I usually give them three to six months on that and I max out the dose monthly on the, the cell stuff. You start at like 500 milligrams twice a day, and then you can go up to 1,000 twice a day, then 1,500 twice a day. Then if you're at that six-month mark and they're still breaking through, one, once again, you always want to make sure that they're doing all right health-wise and everything. Uh, then you want to try the newer biologics for the um, anti-IgE antibiotic um, agents like omeluzumab. Right. And for our viewers, I think one of the things we, we wonder often in terms of dosing, there's a very wide range in terms of uh, dosing recommendations for antihistamines. In fact, many of the doses we use, especially for over-the-counter antihistamines, are, are higher yes. than their yeah. quote-unquote recommended dosing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so usually uh, pharmacists don't like it when you write a prescription for um, uh, fexfenidine that uh, you put 180 milligrams for the Allegra, right? And most people think it's just once a day. Well, you know, you can use it twice a day. You can use it uh, two in the morning, one in the afternoon. You can do up to th uh, th four a day. 360 POBID is what I usually do to max it out. For the um, loratadine and the cetirizine, usually I use like them twice a day, 10 and 10 uh, and of that nature. So I usually don't double up on the Zizol because it's more longer acting, but the um, those are the, uh, some things I do with that. Uh, Benadryl, you know, can go 50 to 100 milligrams if you can tolerate it. Hydroxazine, 25 milligrams to 100 at, at night before bed. Um, there's also doxepin is a nice option sometimes, uh, 25 milligrams to 50 milligrams at night because it also makes you sleepy, but it, has, uh, it says it's 625 times stronger than Benadryl. So, so you're not particularly fearful of, of maxing these doses no, on these antihistamines? No. And then sometimes you can go old school antihistamines, you know, the periactin and things of that nature. But um, nowadays with more modern stuff, we kind of stay with that, but you can try it. Right. And one last question about therapeutics. You mentioned prednisone, and this is uh, unfortunately um, chronic urticaria folks get trapped into this because they feel like it works quickly, they want the quick solution. Mm -hmm. Where do you draw a line in terms of steroid bursts, for instance, if you're doing two well, or three or four-week tapers? How many do you do? times in well, a year? Well, once again, I would say is if the person is only getting, is, can be stable on antihistamines and they only have like one bad flare every once in a while and they call in, 
one, you know, one or two a year probably be okay, but you want to monitor them for you know, long-term side effects from steroids. Uh, but if, it's, if they're like every month, they, it's not a monthly type thing that I, that I would do for the patient. And I don't put them on a standard everyday dose for long-term either. So, I mean, there are other things to use that you don't have to have the side effects of the, of the steroids. Great. That's very useful information. Well, thanks again for stopping by the sure. studio, Dr. English. We're so happy, so proud to have you as part of our program. Thanks again for watching DermCast, everyone. This is Rob Cascale from Orlando, Florida.